I feel a great responsibility in uh, trying to influence your minds, so I would ask you to pray with me for God's help. Can we pray one more time? Father in heaven, protect me, please, from misleading any of these students or faculty or guests here. Grant me to speak truth from your word. Give me a demeanor that is fitting for this topic, I pray, and make Christ great among us now. There are some of these students who will not live beyond their senior year in this room. Others will discover they have diseases they did not know they had. Others will get the dreaded phone call that mom and dad aren't together anymore. So we're not here to cover anything, but to draw near to you and listen about your worth and about the call to suffer. So help me be faithful to this in these four times that we have together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So treasuring Christ together and the call to suffer... I have at least seven aims that I have for you, and I'll mention them briefly, and you can pray with me toward these goals that God might be pleased to achieve in these times together. Number one, I would like to persuade you that your suffering is essential. It's an essential part of the Christian existence. You must suffer, and you will Suffer. I will not boast, Paul says, anything of what Christ has worked in me, and I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You will suffer. Acts 14.22 through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Number two, I hope to be able to help you suffer in a way that will make Christ look great. My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then am I Strong and Christ looks strong in me. So there's a way to suffer that makes Christ look great, and there's a way to suffer that makes him look inadequate for you. Number three, I hope to help you taste and see that Christ is more precious than everything else in the universe, including. Life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. 
So one of my goals is that you would taste, spiritually taste, Christ as supremely valuable more than anything else in your life. Fourth, I want to help you believe that nothing will happen to you apart from God's will in your life. And that in the worst of times, he is 100% for you and not against you if you are in Christ. Let me say that one again. I would like to help you believe that nothing will befall you apart from his will for your life. His sovereign will for your life. Nothing will befall you apart from his good, sovereign will for your life. And he is in all of that, the worst of times, 100% for you. Not 99.9, but totally for you and not against you. Even in the worst of times, if you are in Christ. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Fear him who can cast both soul and body into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not with him freely give us all things. Yes, he will. Everything you need is yours in Christ. Number five. I would like to persuade you that you are in Christ by faith alone, apart from any works that you do before or after your conversion. Counting everything as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, which is based on law, but the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If being in Christ is the place where everything works together for our good, how you get there really matters. And it is not by works of any kind at all. Before or after your conversion. But by faith alone. What a place to be.
Number six, I would like to motivate you and empower you to embrace suffering, to embrace hardship, to embrace risk and danger for the relief of human suffering, especially eternal suffering. May Wheaton not be one of those ludicrous places where it is thought loving to relieve human suffering to prepare people for hell. Let it not be taught here, believed here, that you have to choose between those. I pray, O oh God, that there would be martyrs here ready to embrace the hard places like we just heard in, in the prayer, like Pakistan or Afghanistan or Iraq or Saudi Arabia or Algeria. Places where nobody wants you to come and they're all hell-bound. And love will go. Love will embrace it. Love will choose it. Love will leave these glorious places. So my sixth aim is to motivate and empower hundreds of you to embrace the hardest places and the hardest tasks in the world at your life's peril. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it forever. Number seven, last aim. Actually, there are many more. But I won't tell you all the others. I am praying that God will use these talks to introduce you into or just confirm you in a mysterious way of life summed up in a little phrase in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that we wave over our church over and over again. And the phrase is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. You're young. You've hardly tasted that. You don't. Some of you do not know what I'm talking about. And some of you do. But you will. God pleasing. That's the paradox of the Christian life. Maybe I could try to explain why by some testimony. Uh, in July, I got a phone call that one of my co-pastors had received word that his dad had killed his stepmom and then killed himself. Three weeks ago, a young, I mean youngish grandmother in our church got 
word that her seven-year-old Zach was killed by a pit bull in his basement. Little boy goes to my daughter's school. He's in first grade. She was in fifth. They started school yesterday and Zach was a big deal. Two weeks ago, one of our women had her brother swept away in the floods in southern Minnesota. They found him a few days later, dead. Friday passed, as many of you know. I did a funeral. I think perhaps the biggest funeral we've ever had at Bethlehem for a Wheaton graduate, 24 years old, who took his own life Monday a week ago. His dad and I graduated from Wheaton together. So this was a very deep moment for us. And yesterday, I called our pastor for counseling to see how his new grandbaby was doing. And he said, if he lives the night, there might be a chance. He's still alive, but now he says if he lives the week, he could be one of those beautiful, sweet Down syndrome kids. Now, our church is not unique. There's nothing about what I just documented that's unique. 3,000 children a day die of malaria. Our missionaries get malaria like headaches. Little Maleficent, it's gone. 30 million people have died of AIDS in sub-Sahara Africa. 50 million people die every year in the world. 6,000 every hour. 100 every minute. And most of them don't die in ripe old age sleeping away on their couch. Most of those 50 million a year die young And most of them die in agony. So that while we're talking here, 100 a minute are dying. And if you could hear, there would be so many screams, you would go insane. Only one person in the universe can know everything without going insane. And that's God. If you were just surrounded by a fraction, visibly, sensibly, of the suffering that's happening right now in the world, you would tear your flesh off. You could not stand it. God parcels out our awareness in small doses, lest we go under. So, how can you live in a world like that as a loving person and obey the command, rejoice in the Lord? And again I say, rejoice. He wrote that from prison. And the answer is learning the mystery of 2 Corinthians 
6.10. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And if that feels like an emotional impossibility for you, ask the Lord to perform the miracle. Because the Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And guess what? You always know somebody in both circumstances. And if you plan to go into the ministry, you will know hundreds of people always at every hour in both circumstances so that life becomes absolutely unlivable unless you can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The reason I mention the experiences of our our church is simply to stress that in what you will hear God willing, in the times that we have together, is simply not theoretical. I love theology. To me, all theology is pastoral theology. I have no choice. All theology is missionary theology. All pastoral work is theological. It relates to God one way or the other, and I better know which. I have to talk to people. I don't have a choice just to discuss these matters. A sermon's got to be ready every Sunday after every tragedy. And I love it that way. People came up to me knowing that this funeral was coming last week, and they said, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. I said, thank you very much. We know this is hard. And I said, it is hard, but there is no place on the planet I would rather be than behind that pulpit in front of my friends. Because we are not speechless. We have a great revelation. We have news that is absolutely spectacular about this world. Woe to us if we are silent and do that mumbo-jumbo about, well, there's just nothing to say here in the face of this awful suffering. There is something to say. God has not spoken in vain. If you hope to survive your own suffering with faith and joy, and be of use to others in their suffering, you must have a theology of suffering. It's not optional. You must think about God, Christ, death, life, cancer, and put it all together and speak biblically. And I hope that I can help you do that. So let me take the few minutes that are left and underline one of the things I have already said, namely, suffering is an essential part of your Christian existence. And I take the word essential really seriously, chosen very carefully. It is of the essence of the Christian walk in this fallen age that you suffer. Now, let me support that with a few passages of Scripture. Number one, I already referred to. 
You remember Paul? First missionary journey up through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, comes back a few months later, pausing in each of the churches, strengthening them. Well, what did he say? This little Discipleship 101 class is summed up by Luke with these words. He came strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Not may, must, many So if you're into evangelism and discipleship, get that on the plate quick, like Paul did. You're a new believer? Count on it. Tomorrow it will go bad for you. Be ready. Stand strong. Christ is king. You're a warrior. Don't fall. Put the shield up. Take the sword out. It's going bad. That's Christianity. Another verse, 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul has just planted the church in Thessalonica. He has gone away. You know, he writes a letter back, sends Timothy. He sent Timothy back to establish and exhort them in their faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. This is your destiny. (laughs) Suffering. It is our appointment. It is of the essence. Think it not strange when the fiery ordeal comes upon you. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We have domesticated the word godliness to the point where that makes no sense. It made sense. It should make sense. Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. There is one God-appointed path to glorification. Suffering. Not another one. If you're not on that path, let me say it this way. If you are making it your life ambition to avoid suffering, you will forever have suffering. If you make it your life's ambition to avoid suffering, you will perish and suffer forever. It is our appointment. It is of the essence. And all of that Pauline talk is based on Jesus talk. Is it not? That's where you would go, wouldn't it be? If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? 
If they persecuted me, how much more will they persecute you? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so they spoke well of the false prophets. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not forsake. Nope, wrong word. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We were having devotions as a family the other night. I have an 11 year old daughter still at home. We read that verse and I said, Talitha. What do you think it means for you that you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you don't renounce everything you have? And she just shook her head. Those were words too big. And I said, it means this. It means that every doll in your bedroom, all your friends at Hope Academy, your mommy and your daddy, your four brothers and their wives and their children that you love so much must be less precious to you than Jesus. So that if they're all taken away in death and only Jesus remains, you're okay. That's what it means. Now I have one last question. You have heard me do something that may not be exegetically Careful. I have lumped together pit bulls and floods and suicide and murder and persecution all in one big affliction pot and then used it everywhere I saw suffering in the New Testament. And those of you who are careful might ask, are you sure you want to do that? Do you think when Paul said through many afflictions, we must enter the kingdom, he meant cancer or did he mean persecution? Do you think when Paul said, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him, he meant sickness or did he just mean when people treat you badly because you're a Christian? And I did not accidentally lump those in one pot. I have them in one pot because I think the Bible has them in one pot. And I'll try to explain why as I close. The first reason why I think that. Now, the reason this is so important is because in all the rest of our talk, two times tomorrow and the next day and then tomorrow night, I'm just going to talk about suffering. I'm not going to talk about... Little pieces of suffering, like, oh, this is the kind you get when you're persecuted, and this kind you get when your mom is dying of cancer. And this one you got to go through, that one, I don't have anything to say. That's not the way I'm thinking. I'm thinking this big, awful, miserable reality that you don't want to happen, and it happens of whatever kind. So here's my first reason for dumping them all in one pot. Second Corinthians 12.10 Paul lists his sufferings twice, least, and he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Now, you analyze all those words. I circled insults and persecutions. Those are for sure coming at him because he's a Christian. But the others, weaknesses, same word as diseases, hardships, calamities. Now we're talking flood, earthquake, rivers, or 
Second Corinthians 11.23, he talked about his own imprisonments, beatings, stonings. Then he lists dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, toil, hardship, and cold. None of those are necessarily owing to his being a Christian. Rivers don't get on you because you're a Christian. Cold is cold, Christian or not. My second reason for lumping them all together, besides the fact that Paul seems to, is that when I try to distinguish them, it doesn't work. So, Paul said, five times my back was lacerated 39 times. That's inconceivable to me what his back must have looked like after five times of 39 lashes over several years. Now, you've got to believe, like Walter Wangren in his novel, you've got to believe this back was hard to live with. Probably, not knowing anything about germs in those days, it got infected. Infections bring fevers, and fevers bring all kinds of things. How far out does the causality get before you say, this is disease, not just persecution? This fever that comes a month later because of that remaining infection, it's just fever. And my third reason for... For lumping them all together, besides the fact that Paul seems to, and I can't distinguish him carefully, is that all affliction of whatever kind in your life has the same potential to destroy your faith or make Christ look great. If you have cancer or you have conflict because of your Christianity at work, it's the same issue. Will, will Christ be enough? Enough when my health is failing and enough when my friends are failing. Will it be enough? And if he's enough, he's going to look great. And so the same issue of the treasuring of Christ and the magnifying of Christ is the issue, whether it's cancer or whether it's persecution. So my, my main point as I close today is... Suffering is an essential part of your Christian life. You will suffer. You must suffer. And my prayer is that in our times together, you and I would become better at it. And not only better at it when it comes, but so good at it in Christ that we will walk right into it the way Jesus did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for hundreds here. I know I just pray for hundreds here, Lord, that there would be from this season at Wheaton College, this season, these years surrounding 2000 Seven, there would be a tidal wave of minds and hearts and bodies that so treasure Christ above all things, including life, that the world would feel the avalanche of those who die to save and they don't kill. And so, Father, grant, I pray, that in every class you would be at work.
to raise up that army of lovers ready to lay down their lives to relieve the suffering of the world, especially eternal suffering. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.